0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: This episode is brought to you by MOFAD, the Museum of Food and Drink, inspiring public curiosity about food. Learn more at mofad.org.
2: You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We are a member-supported podcast network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. This year, we're celebrating 10 years of food radio. For the past decade, we've been taking you behind the scenes of farms, restaurants, breweries, school cafeterias, and more. It's been 10 years, and we are just getting started. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org.
3: Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and we're coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, March 6, 2019. This is the 207th episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind the scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is an award-winning pastry chef and proprietor, and I will introduce her fully in a moment. First, as I do on every show, I will start out with my PR tip, and then later we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to find your home. Seek to establish yourself in a place where you naturally feel comfortable and happy, whether it's where you grew up or somewhere totally new. Search for that destination where you can be you without trying to fit in, and then embrace it. When you find your people your family your community and your neighborhood you will know and there's no place like home that's my tip today now i'm really really happy to have my guest here with me in the studio it is claudia fleming she is the proprietor and pastry chef at the north fork table and inn in south holt long island new york claudia was named outstanding pastry chef by the james beard foundation in 2000 and has worked in top new york city restaurants including jams montrachet Tribeca Grail and Gramercy Tavern. In 2005, along with her late husband, Jerry Hayden, she opened the North Fork Table and Inn in Long Island's farm-filled wine country, living and working close to food producers. Claudia also has an exquisite book, The Last Course, Desserts from Gramercy Tavern. She's been featured in numerous national publications, and she served in a judge, as a judge on TV's Chopped and Top Chef Just Desserts. And that's just a little summary. So let's get into it. Welcome to
4: the show. Thank you so much for having me, Sherry. It's really a delight to be here.
3: Well, I'm honored to have you here. And I I can't wait to, to hear more about your background. So let's, I know there's that you pursued dancing.
4: So let's talk about that a little bit. That seems like a lifetime ago. Um, <laughs> and in fact, I think it, it was a lifetime ago. Um, yeah, my formative years were spent putting a lot of uh, time into the dance world. Um, and like all struggling artists, um, I gravitated toward the restaurant industri- industry because it was a quick way to make a buck. And uh, you had your days free to, you know, rehearse and audition and just practice your craft. So working in restaurants at night just made good sense. Um And then I decided that I wasn't talented enough to be a professional dancer, and I had to change course. And, um, you know, I floundered for a few years. I didn't know what I wanted to do, Um, but have always loved the community, the warmth, the vitality, and the excitement of the restaurant business. It, It is very much, like, entertaining. I mean, it is, in fact, entertaining. And um, I always found so many parallels between particularly dancing and the industry, but specifically cooking. Um, you know, technique is so important in the arts, and I quickly learned that technique is also equally important when you cook, and there, there's always time to improve there are always places to improve and repetition 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 is what gets you closer to perfection although you never get there um the repetition is really a gift
3: yeah no the parallel i see it on I mean, your it makes
4: sense so what led you into pastry specifically that was a happy accident um i was working at union square cafe at the time and uh, as a I, cook. I'm sorry. Yes, I was. Okay. in Gar- Well, actually, I was waiting. On, I was I was uh, doing double duty there. I worked on the floor and then I worked in the kitchen as well a couple of nights a week. And I was working in Garmanger and uh, summer came. And as we all know, summer's pretty rough in New York. And I, I thought, oh, man, I'm just going to get out of here for the summer. So I went to Aspen and worked in a restaurant in Aspen called Gordon's, which was uh, all the rage at the time. And when I came back to Union Square, the chef at the time, Michael Romano, said, well, I don't have anything available on the line or on the savory side of the kitchen, but the pastry chef needs an assistant. You want to give that a shot? I was like, sure. I mean, any kind of experience you know, mm-hmm. is great to have in a kitchen. And I just fell in love with it. Um, I started cooking much later in life. I was well into my 30s and found the autonomy in the pastry department very attractive. Um, And unlike working on the line, in pastry you actually get to do things from the very beginning until the very end. And you it's a more comprehensive way of cooking, whereas when you're cooking on the line, you're sautéing fish, you're sautéing fish, you're sautéing fish, you're sautéing fish, or vegetables, 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 or meat, or meat, or meat. It doesn't... I feel like you, and of course you move from station to station on the line and you learn how to do everything, but it seems more simultaneous in the pastry department.
3: Yeah, no, that's true. So after after Union Square Cafe, did you
4: then go to Gramercy Tavern? After Union Square Cafe, I went to Tribeca Grill. Okay. And I was there for a year. And my late husband, Jerry Hayden, who was doing, um, being both the sous chef and the pastry chef there, was my boss. Oh, wow. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That was challenging. Um, And uh, I worked there for a year. And after a year, I was getting phone calls from restaurants saying, Oh, do you want to be the pastry chef here and there? And several other, uh, several, you know, really yeah. highly regarded restaurants. And I'm like, I have, n- I have, I am not experienced enough to do this. And so um, instead of going back to school, I opted to go to Europe for a year and just have a completely life altering experience as well as. Um, learn my craft better and I worked in pastry shops because I thought learning technique would be more helpful than working in restaurants where you learn a very particular and stylized sense of what desserts are about whereas in pastry shops it's really a lot about technique and then after that you can do whatever you'd like with it so that was what I did and then I came back to New York and then uh, heard that Tom and Danny were opening Gramercy Tavern, interviewed with Tom, and that was that.
3: That was that. So you were the opening pastry chef. hmm And what year was that? Because you you were you received the James Beard Award in
4: 2000. 2000, that's right. Was it the same? No, it was 94. Okay. We so opened in 94, days. yeah. July 94. This is 25 years anniversary, of the 25th oh, anniversary right. this year of Gramercy I Tavern. I didn't know
3: that. Because I saw you did a dinner there the other night, yes, with with Michael Anthony and Tom and Tom and Miro. yes and um, celebrating the 25th anniversary. yes, which must have been I wish
4: I was there. It had to have been spectacular. It was so great. felt like home. It just felt great. Um, everybody is so warm and wonderful and it's just it's a great place. It's a special, special place. And it felt really good to be around, you know, colleagues, people that I've known for twenty-five years. It's pretty special.
3: Yeah, I I sense that just from liking your Instagram photo. <laughs> I mean, it had to have been, um, and that's that's it's it's special to have that longevity of a, of a relationship, and that all of you have have done really well with your careers, and and that you're still friends. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So so how. When you were at Gramercy Tavern or along the way, how would you define your your pastry style? And has it changed over the years?
4: Hmm. That's challenging. Um, my style, I always felt, was meant to just kind of be a follow-up to whatever the chef was doing. So I thought of it more as a seamless transition from dinner to dessert and right. less about, you know, a one man show and like, wow, here's dessert, oh, bells and whistles and shiny things and tall things and um and so I I took a lot of cues from from Tom and and his elegant simplicity. Um and I just tried to emulate that through the desserts. Um, we talked a lot about philosophy and what food was and how important it is. And I mean, at, at our core, we're nurturers and um, it was about making people happy and enjoying the experience.
3: Yeah, no, that's that's amazing answer. I was I was thinking with because uh, with. The James Beard Award, like what, like, were you I'm not expecting it or were you surprised by it or what made you stand, <laughs> stand out, you know, because
4: and then how did that change or your career? I I think that the the fact that I was not trying to stand out made me stand out in those days, best, I think. In those days, it it was the era of the architectural dessert. And right. I Tom very specifically didn't want that. And so I was kind of a blank slate, and I was willing to just go with his vision. And luckily for me, it was my vision. little did I know because it came naturally and um, yeah I don't know we we just had a great understanding of what the other person wanted and kind of just felt the same way about food which is rare to find in another you know another work person colleague boss <laughs> yeah. um, mentor I mean he was he really taught me so much about food.
3: Yeah, no, um, it's uh, having that and uh, the, the Gramercy Tavern has maintained in all these years. It's such a special restaurant mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. it's um, yeah, it's an incredible, incredible start of your story or part of your story. So let's take a little break here and we're going to come back and we'll talk more with Claudia about uh, what happened next. <laughs> so. <laughs> Stay tuned. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. We'll be right back.
1: This episode is brought to you by MOFAD, the Museum of Food and Drink. Featuring a variety of interactive displays, MOFAD encourages eaters of all ages to be curious about food. The museum currently operates MoFad Lab, a 5,000-square-foot experimental space in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, where Chow, making the Chinese-American restaurant, is currently on show until the end of March 2019. This exhibition celebrates the birth and evolution of Chinese-American restaurants, tracing their nearly 170-year history and sparking conversations about food culture, immigration, and what it means to be American It highlights the evolution timeline of Chinese-American restaurant menus, dating back to 1910, and also highlights a tasting section where participants get to enjoy tastings created by the country's most talented chefs who specialize in Chinese-American cuisine. Make sure you check out Chow while you still can. The exhibition closes at the end of March 2019. Check out MOFAD's tastings and extensive event calendar at mofad.org slash events.
3: Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Claudia Fleming, the proprietor and pastry chef at Northwork Table and Inn in North Fork, Long Island. So why don't you say what you were just saying to me during the break?
4: Yeah, I feel like there's a distinction and that I feel the need to clarify the difference between a pastry chef and a dessert chef. And I most certainly think of myself as a dessert chef. Um, And, you know, pastry is just so... I I don't know, impressive and lofty. And, you know, I, I would never put myself in the same category with a Francois Payard or a Cedric Roulet or, um, you know, any of these great pastry chefs who employ insane amounts of technique in their sugar work and chocolate work. And it's, it's a different thing altogether. Um, I mean, my, Desserts are, I feel like, more comforting, and um, I like to think of them as refined, but there's more of a level of comfort um, as opposed to the perfection and exactness of what people perceive pastry to be. Um, I employ lots of technique, but it's not... At that at that level it's so interesting I think well you're
3: you're also you're very humble I think because I think your desserts have had your desserts I think they're fantastic but I don't you don't I've never heard I've never had anyone tell me that they thought of themselves more of a dessert chef versus a pastry chef but you never with titles I don't think I've seen a restaurant or have you that says dessert chef versus pastry
4: no I uh, um I don't know that I have. Um we, we could start that trend today. We can. I would be <laughs> very happy to do that. Um you know, I, I mean people also refer to me as a cook's pastry chef. That and I'm not 100% sure I know what they mean by that. Well, I I mean, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I feel maybe
3: that's referring back to what you're saying with working with Tom and how the menu that you guys created from savory to sweet went together. Yes. And so chefs probably like working with you because you think about the whole meal and you're not just thinking about what's going to be for dessert. Right.
4: Exactly right. Okay. And, And there were also elements... To the dessert. And and I remember when I first started thinking about how to create a dessert, I used, you know, a food template as a way to think about them that, you know, there would have to be a protein and a vegetable and a starch and not that I was putting that on a dessert plate. But I thought, oh, it should have three elements. And they should be, you know, contrasting in flavor or texture or temperature. And I I think that might be part of where that comes from um, because I thought of it as food and not as just dessert. Right. So what led
3: you to open a restaurant in an inn in the North Fork, North Fork Table and Inn? Mm -hmm. And what's, I mean, you've been out there now a while. What's the difference between being on Long Island with a restaurant and, and being in Manhattan.
4: I can't even imagine what it's like to have a restaurant in New York. <laughs> um, it's incredibly challenging, you know, out on Long Island. Um, and, you know, everything is harder in New York. Mm-hmm. So um, I imagine it would be a thousand times harder. Um, just the economics alone just make it so challenging Um, But it was always Jerry's dream to have a restaurant and an inn on the North Fork. He summered out there as a kid. And we both got to a point in our careers where, you know, he worked for Charlie Palmer. I was working at Gramercy. And, you know, where were we going to go? Like, it didn't get any better than that. Right. You know, either you work for yourself or you continue working for somebody else. And he had gotten to the point where he wanted to try his own thing so we we had bought a second home on the North Fork and just thought why not give it a shot I mean it's you know Disney World for a chef to be able to work with uh, you know wineries and farms and people who are raising livestock I mean there's not anything you can't find out on the North Fork of Long Island anymore I mean we have a, a snail farmer for crying out loud <laughs> um, Escargot. Well, I, I mean, it's amazing.
3: Yeah, and I know oh that I th- well, correct me if I'm wrong, but Jerry and the, you guys opening out there were one of the first, or credited with being the first farm to table yes. restaurant. <laughs> okay, mm-hmm. yeah, and and everyone followed your lead. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah, being a pioneer is it's uh, it has a lot of rewards.
3: Yeah, and what's it like being a part of an
4: inn too? Are you? I love that part. Okay, I love that part. I I do breakfast for the inn guests, and I love going in early in the morning, being the only one in the kitchen. It's quiet. Um, how many? How many guests? Just eight. I mean, we have four guest rooms, and you know, oh, so very intimate. T- yeah, 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 very intimate. I mean, it's just. One would call it a B and B if everybody ate together, but they don't, and and so everyone has their own table, and um, yeah, I it gives me an opportunity to really have intimate conversations with people and spend some real quality time with our in guests. I really love that part.
3: That's it's lovely. I have to get out there. <laughs> well, we'd love to have you. I'm like I've known about you, and and. You're in in restaurant for so long, and I've never been there, so I
4: have to go because it just seems so magical. It is. It really is magical on the North Fork. It's it's chill. It's beautiful. The farms, the wineries, the sunsets, the light is amazing. The people are great. Yeah. No, I'm sold. <laughs> How
3: often do you change your menu or desserts or what you do for breakfast?
4: Is that... Uh, on the on the spur of the moment? Yes, that is on the spur of the moment sometimes. I mean, there are, you know, the basics. There's always scones and muffins and sticky buns and, you know, breakfast breads. Um, but, you know, uh, savory tarts and um, frittatas that change frequently. And um, what else do I like to do? Eggs, of course. People like eggs for breakfast, <laughs> bacon, delicious bacon, um, fruit salads. Um, I, I know this sounds crazy, but I'm really into making oatmeal with different grains. I mean, oatmeal as the base, but yeah. then I like to add, like, farro and barley and quinoa to it. and um, So that's, that's fun and yummy. Um, but the dessert menu itself... There are probably two things that never come off the dessert menu, my two signatures, which are the chocolate caramel tart and um, the coconut tapioca. And then around those, you know, things change seasonally um, and more often than seasonally sometimes. um, Just, you know, kind of at my whim, I can do that. It's my restaurant. It is.
3: (laughs) So can anyone make a reservation and dine at the restaurant. And then but with if you're staying at the inn, is it included? Do you get I mean or
4: is is it separate? They're separate. Okay. They're definitely separate. Yeah. I mean, people who stay at the inn get, you know, booking preference. Um and I think I can count on one hand the people who have stayed and not had dinner. <laughs> I mean, it's about having dinner. Well, and the rooms are course. a convenience for, you know, an extra bottle of wine, and you can just, you know, right. stumble upstairs and fall asleep and have a great breakfast. Oh, that's perfect. And what's the 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 truck you're doing? Is that something a seasonal? The truck is seasonal, um, and in the season, every Friday night we go to McCall Winery, which is a fabulous winery on the North Fork, and he also raises cattle, so we serve his hamburgers. From his cattle and his wine but right now in the off season we're actually doing that at Friday night at the restaurant so we've kind of brought the season the summer season to the restaurant on Friday nights Um, but it's open generally from um, April until Thanksgiving and um, it's enormously popular enormously popular Yeah, well, it sounds great. (laughs) It is. It's really fun. We love the truck. It's just so fun and happy, and people just love it. Well,
3: another reason to to get out there. Yeah, I mean,
4: you don't even have to leave the property. Stay over. I'll make you breakfast. You can have lunch (laughs) at the truck and dinner at the restaurant.
3: There's no reason to leave. There's and and it's (laughs) such a good package. I don't know your phone. I mean, people. I, don't, I, I think everyone should take you up on that.
4: <laughs> I hope everyone will.
3: Okay, so let's let's do my question for my last guest. I asked Kim Severson, who is my guest on episode 206, to ask you a question. And Kim is the national food correspondent for the New York Times. Yes. So we're going to do a little something fun. We're going to play it back. So here's Kim. Okay.
2: Right. Um, I would like to ask her what obligation she feels to bring up the next generation of cooks and thinkers and hospitality people and and what does she she how does she feel about being a kind of mentor advisor like what obligation do those of us who are um, have been through a few years in life have to helping our young and fabulous millennial friends? so how does she become How does she approach mentorship and that's what I would like to know from her.
4: How do I approach mentorship? I feel like just by virtue of the fact that you have people who have sought you out for your knowledge and your expertise that it's really important to have a lot of respect for them. mutual respect you know they they come to you so naive and passionate and full of hope like all young people do and it inspires me you know it it it, I guess I just feel like I I don't think very consciously about mentoring I think it's a natural thing that happens in the kitchen Um, as long as you have respect for your mentees and the fact that I provide a safe and loving environment for them Um, and I think These days, safe is a very, very important word. Mm -hmm. And I feel honored that they're there. So I feel like they take care of me and teach me as much as I do them. And it just feels like a natural exchange of knowledge and again I'm going to say respect again because it's so huge and I I'm sorry I I don't give it much thought because it's just how we run our business that we are there to provide an education for these kids I mean that's why they're with us right well,
3: without giving it much thought, that was a very thoughtful answer. Oh. So
4: <laughs> Well, it's honest and sincere. I mean, I yeah. I, I No, I I mean, it, we don't have businesses without these these kids who want to learn from us. Right. And uh, I found them to be nothing but engaged and passionate and forthcoming with all their splendid ideas and yeah. They're great to how, be around.
3: How how
4: big or small is your team? Um, right now there's three of us. In the summer there'll be four of us. Um and then, you know, there the five guys or so in the kitchen. Um how many seats is the restaurant? We can get in up to a hundred. Oh. Yeah. It's a good size. It's a good size. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, hundred and fifty on a Saturday night is a good night. For sure. Yeah. Okay, great. Let's
3: take another break. We're going to come back. We'll play my speed round game and talk some industry news. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network.
2: Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. My name is Lisa Held, and I'm the host of The Farm Report here on HRN. The Farm Report is a show about the people, processes, and policies that shape how food is produced today. Expect from the field insights as guests explore how producing fresh, delicious food relates to environmental and community sustainability, justice, and better health. You can find The Farm Report wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org.
3: Welcome back to all in the industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Claudia Fleming, and it's time for my speed round game. So what this is, is I name a few things, and you get to pick your preference, such as chocolate or vanilla. And I would love to know, what is your answer on that
4: one? That's the test one. Okay. Um, and I, I don't get to ask any questions. I just have to say one.
3: Well, <laughs> however you play the game is how you play the
4: game. There are no rules. I'm going to say chocolate. Okay. No, wait. Okay, qualify, qualify. (laughs) It's chocolate to eat and vanilla to work with. Does that make any sense at all? It makes complete sense, especially for
3: what you do for a living. Okay, good. (laughs) Okay, so here we go. Eat in or eat out? Out. Wine, beer, cocktail, or mocktail? Wine. Tasting menu or a la carte? A la carte. Small plates or large plates? Small. Communal table or chef's counter?
4: Ooh, chef's counter.
3: Tipping or all-inclusive charge? Tipping. Gramercy Tavern's front room or back room when it comes to maybe dining there? Front room. Front room's fantastic. The back room's fantastic too, but the front room, yeah. I'm with you, yeah. It's yeah. okay. I know that was a tough one. Yeah, I'm sorry. How about we'll go back to the days of dancing or cooking?
4: Certainly, a much more successful cook than dancer. So I'm going to go with cooking. <laughs> no, from what I've seen, I think you did pretty well back
3: in the day. But that's fair. Okay, two more: cheese plate or dessert? Ooh. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> oh, fantastic. Manhattan or Brooklyn or throw in Long Island.
4: Manhattan.
3: Fabulous. All right. That's the game. That was that fun. That was fun. I liked it. I feel so exposed. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, no one's, <laughs> no one's really going to hold you to this, but okay, it good. is interesting to see how people answer and surprises along the way. Okay, so industry news. So funny enough, there was a pastry article that came out yesterday on Grub Street entitled, Why are pastry chefs obsessed with extremely fancy apples? This was by Chris Crowley.
1: So I are, didn't know they so were. So are they? I didn't oh, so, was, know they were.
4: Okay. But, I'm you know, I kind of live under a rock out there. I try to get into the city, but it's tough running a business and, you know.
3: Yeah, well, I I mean, the apples, I wasn't so, I mean, obviously you're seeing a trend in different restaurants, but they they were talking about these these fancy apples. And you mentioned... The perfect apples. Uh, Cedric Grolet. Uh-huh. And I was in Paris in November, and I popped by uh the hotel lobby yes, yes, I've, done,
4: I've done the same uh-huh. and i
3: had tea and i ordered his the fruit he had at the time i got the citron vert lime which was yes which is a lime and it was i took well, took like 50 instagram or i took like 50 photos to it was magical because it's it looks like a lime and then you it, uh, you could just stare at it. It's a yep. lime, yeah, and then it's not. You cut it open, and it's a it's a dessert with with beautiful things happening inside. So this is the same thing with the apple that I think he does in apple. He does and, that as well, um, yes, and other other chefs as well. So this is not. Is this something you, you've a, ever played
4: around with, not or even? No, I don't. I, not I. Yeah, I, no, nope. I I'm not a. For me, I I don't really like to hear, oh, it's so beautiful, I don't even want to eat it. That just doesn't, I, I don't know. That and I just said that, basically. But, <laughs> well, I don't know. You look at those apples, and, yeah. I mean, it, it doesn't really occur to you to eat it. Right. It looks
3: like sculpture. Well, there was, I was also, the um, this young pastry chef, um, uh, Ji Lee who's at Jun Sink. Uh, I was at her restaurant and then I was at a Star Chef's event recently and she did she did a banana dessert. Same thing. You're looking at the banana. It looks like a banana. I think there's just a, this incredible coolness factor because it looks so real. It's
4: extraordinary. It's and, like magic. I and, mean it's
3: really crazy. And the talent that goes into yes. that. And then you it's a and then it's a delicious dessert. Mm-hmm. I have no idea
4: how these these pastry chefs do that, <laughs> and that is supposed to be my craft. And I have no idea how those pastry chefs do that. I'm sure I could figure it out. I'm sure you could figure it out if you wanted to. Yeah.
3: Um, what fruit would you would you choose? A fig.
4: Ah, that's a good one. Yeah, that would be my. Uh, and you you had no hesitation on that no, either. No, I love figs, and I just think they're so stunningly beautiful. Um. So yeah, I would go maybe I'll try. Maybe I'll maybe I just inspired myself. Maybe I will try it with a fig. <laughs> I'm <laughs> we'll see in all my free time. I think it would be really cool. No pressure. No pressure.
3: But um yeah, no, it's a, this is a certain talent and and something I and there's a bunch of there's apples that they're doing it with as a, I guess maybe apples are you know, available. Yeah. I mean, the, often. <laughs>
4: <laughs> almost always when I was in Paris and um, went to see Cédric Roulet and I have oh, 50 photos with him he happened to be in the dining All room alright you won up he, to me was he walking around the dining room I didn't place? see him oh my gosh I'm so excited um, Apple he was doing the Apple as well as the Lime because I was there I think in late fall but for the Apple you needed to give 48 hours notice oh yeah it's a very special thing yeah, well, um, next
3: time I'm back. I mean, I just, it was on my list of places to go, and I, I figured. Me too. It was it was, so um, it was It was nice. It was such a beautiful hotel. So beautiful. <laughs> I just wanted to live there. Yeah. So, um, well, great. Well, people, you can look out look out for fancy apples. Fancy apples, yeah. Okay, we're going to take one more break. We're going to come back. I have my solo dining experience, and then we'll do the final question. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host Sherry Bayer. Time for my solo dining experience. So, this week it's at Weyon. Here's the rundown. The location 20 Spring Street, Nolita, New York City. The concept French Indonesian cuisine with modern American style. The name Weyon means firstborn in Bali. The owners Chef Cedric Van Richten and his wife Ochi, who is from Indonesia. So why did I go? Because this is a new spot, just opened, and I'm a Cedric fan. My experience. So I had a reservation last Friday for one, and when I went in, I asked if I could seat at the chef's counter, and they were bringing me there already, which was perfect. I saw Cedric at the pass, and he introduced me to his wife, I was working the floor, and I love sitting at a chef's counter because I got to watch all the kitchen action, and I had a good time. So what did I get? I had the chicken satay with peanut sauce and avocado gado gado plus nasi goreng, which is fried rice and corn fritters. My take. Fabulous, strong flavors. Everything went perfectly together. Love the peanut sauce. The chicken was so tendered, you didn't need a knife. Uh, it was It was fabulous. I took some leftovers to go because I couldn't finish everything. The ambiance, so it's dark and sexy, it's got different rooms, it has custom Indonesian decorations, and up front there's a bar, the The open kitchen's in the middle, there's only five stools, and then it opens up to a back dining room, and it was designed by the Rockwell Group. So, perfect for, I'd say dinner with friends or date night, a lot of the dishes are designed for family-style sharing. Interesting tidbit, Cedric is Chef Jean-Georges von Richten's son, And he's the executive chef at Perry Street and Wyan is his first independent venture. Personal fun fact, Cedric and his sister Luis were guests on my show, episode 121. They came on and we talked all about their food dreams foundation. The cost was $27. That's not including tax and gratuity, but Cedric sent out two of the dishes. So I think the total would have been about $50. Would I go back? Yes, I would. The website is wayan nyccom and thank you to him for the wonderful hospitality. Uh, I can't wait to go back. What do you think? French Indonesian. Sounds really delicious. Very exciting. Good flavors. Big, bold flavors. Big, bold flavors. Yum. Yeah, so that was that. Uh, It's time for the final question. My next guest is Melissa Clark. She is, we're going back to the New York Times. She is food writer, cookbook author, and staff reporter for the New York Times food section where she writes the popular column, A Good Appetite, and appears in a weekly cooking video series. And Melissa is wonderful, and I'm so excited to have the her The
4: co-author on. of my cookbook. <gasps> – Who knew? I didn't yeah, know. – you didn't, yeah. – I should have known. – Can you believe that? – Amazing. – And she's
3: gonna be your next guest. So so what would you like to ask her? What have you
4: Yeah. Melissa, when are you coming to the North Fork so we can work together again? <laughs> she, good question.
3: I feel like she's gonna say tomorrow, I'm on oh, my God. way.
4: Well, she's she's a busy, busy girl these days, boy. She's she, done amazingly, amazingly well. She's so talented. So talented. Um but in all seriousness, what would I like to ask Melissa?
3: That can be your question. This is this is not. I mean, if you want to ask another one, feel free, but I can certainly ask her your your okay. when are you coming yeah. out question. When are you coming out, sister? Okay. I want to see you. Great. I did not know that and I think what a collaboration. Yeah. She's done done a
4: lot of books. A lot of books. And they're all great. And one of my friends said to me, next time you see her, you tell her I cook from that book all the time. I love it. Okay. We'll tell her that, too. Yeah. Okay, cool. So that's the show. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. This has been really a lot of fun.
3: Yeah, no, I'm... I'm thrilled to get to spend 45 minutes on the air talking with you about your amazing career and I'm gonna make my plans to come out to, to North Fork maybe even come with Melissa. Maybe <laughs> I could. I was thinking I would like to invite myself along but I didn't want to be too pushy.
4: <laughs> Not at all the more the merrier.
3: Okay well we'll we'll see if we can coordinate that our schedules. Um, but yeah, thank you so much. Congratulations thank on you. everything. Thank and, you. Uh, thank you. Continued success to you. Thank, thank you. Thank you. My guest today has been Claudia Fleming. She's the proprietor and pastry chef at the North Fork Table and Inn in North Fork, Long Island. Their website is northforktableandinn.com, and on social media at North Fork Table and at Chef Claudia Fleming. On social media, I'm at Sherry Bayer at Bayer PR and All Industry. And my Facebook page is All in the Industry. Websites, com and SherryBayer.com. You can find all of our shows were archived at org. We are also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. So you can listen anywhere, anytime. Thanks to my engineer today, Amanda. Thanks again to Claudia. And thanks to our publicist, Helen, for helping set things up. I'm Sherry Bayer, and I'll be back next week with another live show. Hope you'll tune in then, and thanks for being part of All in the
0: Industry.